Andrew Portnoy, AP as we call him, is an absolute legend. I've coached AP. He's a really, really awesome dude. And he runs a very, very high-performance sales team. One of the strengths that I think that AP has is the fact that he's able to create a high-performance environment and a high-performance culture. If you want to be better at maintaining a high-performance culture around you or building that or even holding yourself to a higher standard, I highly recommend that you watch this because you'll take a lot away from it. And we're live. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. So it's a, it's an honor. <laughs> an honor, honor. Jeez, I'll, I'll hit you with all the softball questions, and if you're going to talk to me like that. <laughs> so, but one of the things that I reasons I want to get you on is because you manage salespeople really, really well at a really, really high level, and it's a difficult task because let's be honest, salespeople are fucking difficult right? Um, it's like every business needs them. Like everyone needs them. We can't be without them. Um, but, but every, every single person I know in the history of ever has always had some sort of difficulty with managing salespeople. And I really wanted to get your mentality around this and your mentality to, to employing people. And just for your, your context as well, a lot of the guys who we work with and, and are going to be listening to this are dudes who are in business, who want to go into business, who want to make more money, just want to be more successful and just be better human beings. So first of all, I would love to look at your philosophy around how you employ people mm. and then how you manage them. So first thing, when you're looking to hire someone, what do you start with? Great question. So the very first thing that I do is I write a really quite aggressive ad that I put out. And the reason for that is more than anything, I'm probably more interested in repelling the wrong people than I am in actually attracting the right people because I, I've taken so many sales interviews, James, where you know people have just done a quick sales course and they're obviously really excited. But I think like I'm wanting to make sure that I've got people that have the right attributes. So I'm looking to put an ad out that will attract someone who's confident in themselves. If I put an aggressive ad out there, I'm going to try and make certain people feel uncomfortable about applying for that ad. So I put in there that the traits that I'm looking for. Confidence. They have to be okay with commission only. I'm really, really big on commission only because I think it motivates people and they have to be able to back themselves. You know, I put in there what our top salesperson is earning. And I'm very, very sort of demanding on some of the things that we we ask those people to have. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, totally. Yep. So that's the first thing. After that, it's about interviewing them using some questions that really they can't just kind of give standard answers to. I'm trying to really test their personality and sort of see who they are. Um, I like a two interview process as well. So the first interview is kind of getting to know them. After that, I'll give them a task, which is to go and complete a personality quiz. And I want them to get it done immediately. I'm really interested in what the results are that they get and how they actually interpret the results as well. What, what second, personality quiz do you use? Sorry. There's, there's a couple of ones. Like I'm a big fan of like Myers-Briggs. Uh, the easiest one of that these days is that 16 personalities test. Um, you can get that one for free. And it's not even about, I don't know if there's necessarily any particular personality types on that that I see as being ideal. It's more just that I've given them a task and I get to see immediately if they'll complete that task quickly effectively? And then have they actually spent the time that if I quiz them on the test and I quiz them on their results, did they actually give it any attention or not? So I'm looking for attention to detail, you know, and the ability to sort of take cues and sort of follow, follow directions. Mm. Totally. Okay. And then some f- from there that you go into the into the second interview, what does that one entail? So that's really like determining whether they're actually, they've got the, I guess, the core values that we're looking for, whether they're going to be a, a culture fit. And it's also kind of finding out a little bit about what motivates them. You know what I mean? Because we want to know 
we want to know, like, are we kind of aligned here? Like, I don't want to bring on a salesperson who's going to be a weapon for us if, like, we're just a stepping stone and they're going to be gone in six months. Like, I don't mind people using us to grow, but I have a real love with, with team in general of having people come along for the journey. So I want to bring somebody on who's very ambitious, very capable, and provide them a great working environment. So ideally, they never really want to leave. And then that means that I can put a huge amount of my time and energy into them. You know, some of my previous employment, the environment was very, very poor in a gym that I used to work in. And there was a lot of people that didn't really get along with management. And there was a huge turnover. And it used to be very stressful for the gym. And I think I learned a lot from that because I don't like having to go through the process of losing someone and rehiring, especially if it was my fault that I lost them. So what were the worst parts about that gym that you worked at? There's quite a few things. I think like there was a real disconnect between the very top and there was almost like a genuine resentment going both directions. But the mistakes that they made was basically they were never looking for win-win. So basically they would say, we're doing this thing and this is it. They wouldn't ask for any feedback. They would, you know, we weren't part of the process at all. We were just kind of the little grunts at the bottom that got told what to do. There was no transparency about the mission and there was also no mutual respect. And I think like whenever I would sort of go and propose and say, hey, I've got this great idea. I want to innovate. They would just say, no. So if you're going to have someone who's at a really high level, I mean, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are about this, but I think personal growth is a huge part of attracting and keeping good staff as well as autonomy as well. But you have to have a pathway for people so they can really master what they do and they can grow their own skill set. Totally. I mean, if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like the very thing at the top mm-hmm. after you've got everything else, you're fed, you're sheltered, all that sort of stuff. You have your love, connection, and community is self-actualization. Mm-hmm. And if we don't give that to our teams, then there's no way they're going to stick around. It'll just be continually unfulfilling. Yeah, I mean, like for me, if we can provide an opportunity for people to come in and feel like they're part of something that really matters... Uh, but feel like their contribution to that really matters as well. I think that that's really important. And, you know, we- So what do you mean by their contribution to that? Well, like, I mean, if we can see that they're not only just a salesperson for hire, but they can come in and feel like they're part of a team, you know, when they get a sale, it's celebrated by the entire team. If we have a weekly target that matters to the company, the profitability of the company, we make sure that they know a lot of those numbers so that they feel very excited every week as a team. Are we making or are we achieving or are we not not achieving our goal? Hmm. Gotcha. So instead of, because in, sale, in, in sales, it's very common to have the lone wolf salesperson who crushes it and then having the rest of the team shittier. So how do you go when you do have a lone wolf or do you not hire them? Well, yeah, we actually, one of our very best salespeople is in a lot of ways a lone wolf, but I think it's been an interesting process where we've actually created a really great level of respect because we've provided an amazing environment for him, great management understanding. We've kind of given him the opportunity and because we've been able to provide that. You know, I think that there's a real sense that he's been willing to play the game and really fall into line with what we ask as well. So I think as much as I wouldn't necessarily call him a lone wolf anymore, even though that's mm. probably his nature and he's very, very good at sales. So by all rights, James, like he has the ability and he has the right to be a lone wolf, but we've kind of given him the culture, the environment and the respect so that he's willing to kind of align with what we need him to do. So we've kind of, I guess there's there's been a sort of a taming of that to an extent, taming of the wolf so that we're kind of able to bring him in to, to, to be a really valued member of the team. Yeah, totally. Okay. Are you okay with talking numbers, by the way? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, cool. So in terms of like a guy who comes and works for you, like just for context, like how much can they earn if they're really, really good? How much could your top salesperson earn? Well, I mean, we do 
100% commission and our top salesperson is definitely on track to be earning comfortably over 300k. So we sort of yeah, we are we basically work it out on a on a month to month basis, but his projector for last month would have indicated that if he did that for 11 months of the year and had one month off, he would have been making over 400. You know, and our lower salesperson works about 18 hours a week and they're usually sort of sitting about that 150k mark. Now obviously they're being fed incredible leads and we're selling those leads at very high percentages. I mean, this particular guy probably does between 60 and 80K worth of sales himself per week. Gotcha. They're not bad numbers, huh? (laughs) They're pretty good. Really, really solid. Uh, Do you find that uh, when you have those numbers that are on display there, like there are two ways that people can go. We can either get highly motivated by it or we can feel the pressure, right? Because you, in order to hit those numbers, you have to perform. How do you deal with guys when, and and sales guys are always up and down, right? And I've done sales before and I've been pretty fucking emotional too. How do you deal with their personalities and the way they think and the way that they're being when they are in a slump or when there is that? pressure there on them where they're looking at $400,000 a year, not a bad pay packet, right? How do you manage that? Yeah, it's a great one. I mean, the truth is with this is that typically high performers like that, I found that despite the fact that they are so talented and so capable and so hardworking, I think a lot of the time they have things that they really, it's like that love languages thing, right? And I think, you know, a lot of the time that words of affirmation or respect can be, can go a long way. So it's just like, if they have a great day, I'll contact them personally and say, Hey man, really appreciate the effort today. You've been amazing. And if they have a tough time, I'll give them a call and just have a chat so they can debrief. Now that sort of stuff, when I'm dealing with such a valuable asset to our team, that goes a long way. Now, of course, I've got all the usual processes as well, sales team meetings, stats, and you know all that team communication, but you really can't put a price for these types of individuals on just reaching out to them personally and making sure that they're happy, that they've got a voice and that they feel like they're being kind of looked after. It's funny that at all levels of income, it's the little things that actually matter. And, it, and it's across all industries too. I mean, I had um, Marcus on uh, who runs he runs a very successful mining company. They're crushing it. It's the same things. We had Matt and Matt Byrne, James Sackle on, and they, they say the exact same thing. It's like literally every single person says the same thing when it comes to managing employees. Pay them really fucking well, incentivize them really, really well, and then make sure that you actually care about them. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's so many things about that that matter. And to go to the pain thing, because this is a huge point, there's a lot of people that I think they want to pay less. And that there's a real there's a real issue that I see with that. If you're a good salesperson, chances are you know other good salespeople. Good salespeople are very motivated by money. And so if, say, for example, they find out that we or that you know Matt and James are not paying a good amount of money and someone else can, then loyalty is only going to take them so far. At a certain stage, if someone's going to pay them a lot more money, I'm not going to have their loyalty and respect. So I've got to be aware to give them the opportunity. And as long as I'm not getting careless with my business numbers, we make sure that everything's square and that our profitability is making sense. It's happy days. You know, everyone's happy and I've got the confidence that they're going to be with us for as long as we can possibly provide that for them. Totally. I'd share that with you, man. It's like, I want to make it so that everyone who comes in and works at JCF has the opportunity to make whatever it is that they want to make and that it's all purely dependent on performance. So, okay. So then if we go through and we look at you, have you, how'd you get into sales in the first place? So like, I'll try and condense this. So basically my story is for 10 years, I was a personal trainer and I was probably, 
you could say fairly, I was an, I was a struggling personal trainer. I was known as being the best in my gym, but I was a commodity. I didn't have the marketing ability to brand myself appropriately as being the expert with certain things. So I was known as the guy that would get the best results, but I didn't have enough clients. New gyms opening up left, right, and center. So I got to the point where I was really, I'd had enough. You know, m- my motivation that I always think back to was this moment being in my room next to Hannah, who's my wife now, at the time, my girlfriend. And I was just looking up at the ceiling at night thinking, mate, you're a fucking loser, right? Like you're in debt, you're struggling, you've been trying so hard to crack this and you've not done it, you know, what's going to give? And so I had a chat to Andrew Gosen, who's been my best mate, business partner, you know, best mate for a long time, business partner for four years. And I just said, man, um, you know, I was the one who got him into the industry. I'm uh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go and and just do a, just do a fucking trade. I'm done. You know, I just want some security. And he was like, dude, don't you fucking dare. You're not allowed to do that. You're a great trainer, you know, let's team up. And so we did. Initially, he was doing all the marketing. I was doing nearly all the coaching. And both of us were pretty shithouse at sales, to be honest. I just stumbled my way into calls, had no idea what I was doing. We put a huge amount of personalization into it. So we had such a personal connection. And I guess we did the gun to the head mentality. So even though I sucked, I didn't have any any training, we just kind of started to, to do okay. And, you know, two years ago, three years ago, I think actually we had about a 65% conversion rate with 45 minute calls. And that was when I started to do a lot of sales training and I started to build a script. And every single week, pretty much for about 18 months, myself and my team did a weekly meeting where we refined the script, we reviewed a call and we worked out what was and what wasn't working. And over that period of time, we got it to the point where these days we're closing at 80%, usually in 30 minutes or less. So it's just been a phenomenal sort of journey, but I can't claim that I was sort of like the Michael Jordan of sales where I just kind of was born with this innate ability or something. It's actually been a real grind to get to this point. And it's just been something that I've always enjoyed. And I kind of just fell into it and realized that I had a passion for it along the way. So with most people, like we, and me included, when I started out, like sales is a dirty word. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's like, like you're pressuring people to take their money. Like there's a whole Jordan Belfort thought about it. You being the fucking wolf of Wall Street. How did you get around that? Did you have that in the first place at all? Yeah, I think, man, like I'll just be honest. I was like pretty nervous at the start doing it. And like, there was always that guessing myself at the beginning when I had, I think, a much weaker mindset. You know, I kind of had that unsuccessful mindset. What do you mean by that? Uh, I, I think like I'd spent the last 10 years not being successful in business. So I was kind of just trained to think like, you know, I was trained to think that there was a high chance that it wouldn't work out. And there was a lot of imposter syndrome. Should I even be selling this? Like, what if it doesn't work out? What if these ladies don't like us? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I just kind of had to force myself to do it. And the first couple of calls, what I made a real point in my mind of doing was just saying, look, man, like you have to realize that you've got something really valuable and that these women have a lot of pain that they're dealing with. And if you can provide them something that you genuinely believe is the solution, then you can get out of your head. And that that just seemed to work for me is that as long as I had a very caring conversation that was really intentionally about their interests and serving them, it allowed me to stop any of that negativity in my mind. And it, and it put me in a really calm place to sell. Hmm. Did you get any of the imposter syndrome rearing its head again when you started employing more people or as, or as the business started growing? I w- no, I didn't I didn't really get it when we started employing people, but when I did get it again was when we started business coaching a couple of years ago because I had I had this really successful team that I think I'd sort of convinced myself that there was a possibility that hey, maybe I just fluked it, you know, it was just for us. And it was really fascinating when I started actually reviewing other people's calls using my system, how effective it was. And that's when I think I really 
became so completely aware of how incredibly powerful this system that I'd created was because it was getting people to such a high level so quickly. And it was very, very trainable. Perspective is really interesting when you see relative to other people. I had a conversation with Matt Boone about this a couple of years ago now, a few years ago now. At the time, we were doing 500 grand and someone was, actually, I think it was Matt was saying, you should do business coaching. Like, you should coach people how to do this. And I'm like, dude, I'm like nowhere near successful enough to do this. I'm not good enough. There's no way that I could do it. Like, it's not going to happen. And he's like, bro, do you realize that like you're in the top like 0.1001 whatever percent? of all PTs of all time. And I was like, huh, like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, there's, there's something weird about that when you actually realize that what you have is really, really good and actually really, really effective. Um, and then, okay, so you've gone through and you've looked at other people's calls and you've seen that your system's actually then been working really, really successfully. How do you make sure the people who are following your system actually succeed using what you've got? Yeah. So the process is usually first step is we give them the course to make sure that they can understand. There's a lot of great training on it. The next thing is we need to make them their own customized version of my script, which it's it's so easy to do that. It's about 95% my script, 5% theirs. After that, I have found, you know, I know Matt's really big on role playing, for example. For me, I'm really big on call reviews because I think you can hypothesize, you know, and that works so well. I mean, I've seen the way Matt does call, um, like the, the, um, Role play, but for me, it's always been about core reviews in a live environment. I tried giving people recordings and I just didn't feel like it worked. There's nothing more powerful, in my opinion, than saying to somebody, Hey, your first call is probably going to be average. Just deal with that, throw yourself in the deep end, but make sure you record that bloody call. Because once you've got that call recorded, we can actually give you one on one support or group support inside our program, right? So In that sense, we just literally go through and we find the exact points where they made a mistake, where they lost the call. So I don't have to just kind of give them a review and say, all right, here's the summary of that last 30 to 45 minutes. I can say, hey, this is exactly why you didn't make that sale. This is exactly what you should be focusing on next time. And I can just keep it really, really freaking simple so that they can improve rapidly. So it's really about making sure that you're repeating it a lot. You're keeping it super simple and super systemized. Yeah. So I I have found that 90% of the time we get most of the improvement with anybody that we bring on with improving what I like to call the why section. So like pretty much it comes down to this, like people, like say, for example, if someone's going to join up to one of your programs or our program, like they have to have a pain that's big enough to want to spend that money. So let's say our, our fitness programs, they're worth roughly you know $2,000 to $3,000. If I'm on the phone to somebody and I don't find reasons that are powerful enough that in my mind, I think that that person would be willing to spend $3,000 to solve them, it makes no logical sense that I've got a sale. So I hear it all the time where someone just kind of glazes through that, you know, they just sort of breeze through that section. Someone gives them some really like surface level reasons and they never dig any deeper. And in the end, they're completely surprised when they get riddled with objections and are sort of, you know, evasion tactics by the prospect at the end of the call. Totally. Because they haven't actually got down to any meaningful pain point. Well, you don't, you don't have any leverage. Like you can't, you can't negotiate with somebody who doesn't give a shit. So, you know, and if somebody has pain, we don't tend to want to acknowledge that pain too closely. So sometimes, you know, selling for me is getting skilled at asking people questions that actually gets them to pull their head out of the sand and start to truly examine what they're unhappy with. And so actually what, the uncomfortable questions. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. Like when I first started doing reviews and I was showing people some stuff, they were like, you asked that question. I'm like, yeah, I asked that question. You know, you can use softeners. Like I hope it's, a, it's a, I hope it's okay if I ask this question, you know, things like that. I hope it's not too personal to say this. But I find that as long as you have a softener to preface a question like that, no one ever cares. And the worst case scenario, they'll say, actually, I'd rather not say. You just find another way of rewording it so you can go again. Mm, gotcha. So why do you think that where what is it that that's that leads us to not want to ask those questions? Well, I think it's fear. We're basically projecting our own fears. We're saying, well, if I ask them this, are they going to get stuck into me? Are they going to think I'm rude? Are they going to tell me to fuck off? Are they going to hang up the phone? You know, and really that's never the case. If you get the tonality right and you come once again, as I said earlier, selling is about genuinely giving a shit, right? So if you actually give a shit about this person and you're coming from a place of sincerity and trying to find out the answers that you need to get the sale to help them, then I think it always comes across very genuine and transparent and people will pick up on that. As long as you care. Yeah, as long as you care. Like if, if you're using it as a tactic, tonality tends to not be right. You know, often it means that they're telling you stuff that's really important. You're kind of already thinking about the next question rather than when, you know, what they've actually told you and does that have significance? So like that kind of stuff really matters. So when you start being thinking about the outcome as opposed to the action that you're actually doing and being in the present moment, that's when your sales go to shit. Yeah, I think if you're thinking about the outcome of whether or not you're going to get your commission check, it's not normally going to result in the best quality selling. For sure, the best quality selling Commissions are a funny one though, because so because you're paying like on full on commission only. Yeah. How do you get your guys? To not be thinking about their comms check and to be totally focused on just serving the person to the highest level when their comms check is is feeding them. Well, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, do you mind if I ask, like, do you do commission only or do you have like a hybrid system? Like, what's your structure? We do base plus commissions. Yeah. And what's your rationale behind that system? The reason I do that is because... I want my guys so that if we bring them a hundred different calls who they, they book in with each week and all of them don't need our program, my guys can still put food on the table, right? That's pretty much my rationale. Not that that's ever happened. So that's probably a shit answer, right? Of why we do it. But that's pretty much the essence of it. I, I like my guys having no reason that they need to sell, mm. but they only sell to people who actually really genuinely need help. Okay. Look, so I mean, my answer would be, which I, I can totally respect that as well. So I will preface by saying when we started, we've actually tried the three different models that I see. We we initially started with all salespeople that were getting paid 70K, right? And what we found is that at that stage, our, our, our sales conversions were okay, you know? And the issue was, is that the problem that I saw with that model, the more I looked into it, is that we were vastly underpaying the top performers and we were massively overpaying the underperformers. So it was basically Interesting. Yeah, it was like a, um, it, it was equality when equality wasn't deserved. You know what I mean? It was like forced equality. So what happened was we were basically, we were basically repelling A players and we were actually attracting, you know, B players. Yeah, right. So we, we created a culture of security for people, which I didn't want them to feel secure. I wanted them to basically feel that they, their journey was the company's, right? So the next model we tried was we went to a hybrid model where we basically worked out that the least we could pay as a base pay was like 45K. And then we paid commissions on top of that. And that had an improvement. We had an improvement in comms and slight improvement in quality. And some of our secure staff, they actually didn't make it on that model. And so they quit. And then 
finally, we started to bring on some new A players on commission only. And what we found is that it's sink or swim commission only, right? So what it does is it takes away their security blanket. If they do poorly, they will get nothing. If they do okay, they'll get, probably they'll still make more money. But what it does is it eliminates their bottom end. It gives them insane risk on the bottom end, but it gives them a lot more earning potential on the top. And we see that we're comfortable to do that because if you're a company and you're taking people with a base pay, you're essentially, you're the one taking on the risk, which means that it doesn't make sense to pay them too much on the top end. Because if they're going to not take on the risk on the bottom, why should you take on the risk on the top? If we take that away though, it means that we can attract the best quality talent. And this is where it comes back to confidence is that there's a real type of person. I believe this, that there's a real type of person, the best salespeople who thrive in that environment where they know that if they turn up every day, they get to play a game. And that game is that if they win, you know, that they're going to be basically, you know, they, and they're not selfish. They, they want to play the game of sales, but ultimately as well, we just have to make sure that we check them that they're not selling people who shouldn't be sold. And sometimes mm. they do sell people that shouldn't be sold. And obviously, we just deal with that in the moment and make sure that we come down very clearly on the side of what we're okay with. And we've just had to drum that policy into them over time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense, man. Okay. And then, so what was the effect when you shifted from the hybrid model to now the commission only? The effect was that our conversions went up. We were able to keep and attract. In fact, as soon as we did that, we actually attracted better sales quality, better talent straight away because on the hybrid model, we were paying an average of about 85K. On the flat model, we're paying about, well, paying exactly 70K. These days, we're paying our salespeople anywhere from about 120, 150 up to, as, as I said, about just over 300K. So the difference is, is that we started to attract in the sales world ballers, I guess, you know, they were coming in. And once we found one and, and he was like, man, this is a great environment, he started bringing his friends. And so he recommended someone. And, you know, then we got another person. So networking wise, people started to know us as a fitness company that paid extremely well provided great opportunity and word gets out there. And then what effect has having that sort of culture of sales team had on the business? In what way? In terms of your ability to grow, because what I'm hearing now, and I'm just reading between the lines, is that you're converting at a higher rate. So your cost of acquisition goes down, you're collecting more cash and you're making more sales. So then that's probably had a pretty you know, decent effect, I guess we'd say, on the growth of the business, right? Yeah. I mean, so here's what I would say. I mean, we're certainly like of the three costs, the cost of marketing, the cost of sales, the cost of like fulfillment, our cost of sales, in a sense, has sort of gone up to make a sale because we have to pay more money, but because we convert more, it all comes out in the wash. So what it means is it gives us a very reliable sense where, yeah, we're paying these people money, but they make us far more money. So yes, our I guess our reliability, so it's much easier for say G&I to actually project. If we spend X amount of money on ads, mm. and we know that we're converting at 80%. We know that we have a certain level of reliability. Like our return on investment is usually somewhere between five and six to one after, after marketing. And that's because the sales team are just so consistent at closing. Hmm. That's really cool, man. Really, really. So you actually ended up paying a greater amount in sales commissions and paying more to your sales guys, but it ended up being far more profitable for you and more stable. Massively so, because we have people that are willing to work hours that are very, very consistent at converting. Like we don't, like I have people in the mastermind sometimes that'll reach out and say, oh, you know, my team converted at 25% today. And I think, well, that's never happened for us. Not with this model. I mean, if we have a bad day, we might have a bad day, it would be like 65%. But the last, we haven't had a week where we've converted less than 70% now in over a year. So that's been remarkable, obviously, which I'm, I'm extremely proud of. But usually they're getting at that 80%. So that reliability is gold. Hmm. 
That's really cool. Really, really cool, man. Hmm. So is there anything that you're learning at the moment in business? Because you, you guys are crushing it, right? You know, like you're well on, on your way to making 10 million a year as big dollars and it's just going from strength to strength. Is there anything that you're learning at the moment or you're implementing which is allowing you to grow or to increase your success? The way that we basically run the company is something that we learned from Charlie Valor, which I know you know Charlie, you know, you know, he's a great dude, very, very good business mentor that we've had for some time. And basically what he's taught us to do is to not make decisions in business based on your gut, right? Which is so easy to do. You have an emotional experience about something and you think, shit, the world's falling apart or we're having the best time ever. And a lot of the time it's completely inaccurate. So we have dashboards these days that allow us to check everything. So we go all the way through the funnel so we can determine exactly where the bottleneck lies. And that includes sales, but it could include why our leads aren't showing up, you know, because if we, our leads aren't showing up and that's the only thing that seems to be out of whack, we can, we can put all our focus and attention to looking at that issue, solving it and innovating it. And I think what I love about running the business by the numbers is it's so easy to isolate variables and work out what's messing up. And then that's why I think we've been able to innovate so much more than just the regular fitness company, because we know exactly where the problem lies. It's just a matter of, well, how do we fix it? But we're not looking at this big holistic problem and going, what's happening? We're looking at something so much more specific than that and saying, well, our leads aren't showing up. We need to improve this by 10%. How would we go about that? And then we try something. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And what you see today is just basically the output of many, many years of testing things that work, things that don't work, eliminating the things that don't and keeping the things that do. So what are you doing to upskill yourself? A good question. So, I mean, for me, it's constant mentorship. So we're usually always in different mentorships that we're doing. You know, I mean, obviously, you know that last year I did some work with you on more personal stuff. You know, and that was extremely valuable for me. It's mentorship with people like Charlie. Um, I've done mentorship not too long ago with Matt himself about business sales because I'd never done that before. So I think that's really, really important. And it's just a lot of learning every day for me in the form of reading, podcasts, et cetera. You know, reading particularly for me, I think is the one that just seems to be not only very good for expanding my mind, but it's also very good for calming my mind as well. So I sort of gear myself up. I don't, you probably know what I'm coming, where I'm coming from with this, but if you're learning, I think you're always far more inspired. And if I'm learning something, if I'm learning something new, I always feel inspired to actually try the things that I'm learning. The every single period of my life where I've made massive amounts of progress, I've been learning and I've been mentored, I've been coached. So yeah. I probably read for about two hours a day at the moment, minimum, like in the morning and when I before I go to bed. It's like the best headspace thing. I know exactly what you mean, where it, it can wind you up, but it can also chill you out too. And I think that's that's the coolest thing. So what what is it that you read? So I tend to only read like I still listen to books, but if I listen to books, I'm not a good auditory learner. So I'll only listen to two types of books. It's like fiction or autobiographies or biographies. But if I am actually learning for the sake of, you know, learning, it'll be it'll be something business related, sales related, personal development related, you know, things like that. So I mean, I recently I was reading uh, Jim Quick's book Limitless, which was learning how to learn, which I found really really entertaining because you catch yourself sometimes with limited thought patterns, right? So I've always said, I have a terrible memory. And then I realized that that's just something I've been telling myself. And it's not actually, it's not actually true at all. It's a label that I've carried since I was a kid. Uh, and when I actually examined that, I realized I don't have a bad memory at all. I've just been telling myself that, you know, so you catch yourself sometimes on these silly little things 
And that perspective, it's not that dissimilar for me getting around someone like yourself or Jimmy or, or Matt or, you know, or Gosen or Charlie. You hear pe- people in the way that they talk and the way that they run their brain and their life. And it, it can be very, very inspiring. And I find you can also get that in a book as well. Totally. 100% agree. I found like the something really helpful for me has been just surrounding myself constantly with people who are at a high level. It's yes. the most, it's weird. We all talk about it, but very, very seldom do we actually do it. But as soon as you have like this network of people who are fucking crushing it, yeah. everything just gets so much easier. So actually, I want to ask you as well, you know, because obviously we, we worked together um, like earlier in the year and, and I think it was a little bit of last year too, towards the end. Why is it that you chose to work on your health? Because you're, you're a sales guy, right? You just need your brain. Like, Why did you choose to focus on your performance and, 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 your, and your body? It's a good question. So, I mean, in all honesty, it was, it was the fact that I, as a personal trainer, you know, I was always in great shape. That was something I took a lot of pride in. And it would be very, you know, reasonable of me to say that my shape uh, and my attention towards my health have certainly taken a, a nosedive. I was just a busy, successful business owner. But these days, yeah, I'm selling health products or I made a system for selling health products. And so you would think I'd be in shape. But what had happened is essentially I was putting business first and I was putting other things like actually enjoying my my time outside of work, it was getting pushed down. That involved training, running, just doing things. One of the first ever questions you asked me, which was kind of really embarrassing, was like, hey, dude, what do you do for fun? And I was like, um, like I didn't really have an answer. So, you know, that that was that was a huge thing is I guess just realizing that for selling, physical and mental health are a huge part of that process because it is an emotional game. If you're going to back up day after day after day, it's draining if you don't keep yourself in tip-top shape. And I, I do think a a lot of the time when people are going through a sluggish patch in selling, often it's that they're neglecting their health and they're neglecting their stress levels. And that can have a really negative impact. And when I worked with you, my sales definitely improved from that period. It's funny, man, because we obviously coach a lot of sales guys. Like every time people say, oh, I'm sleeping better and I can sell better now too. It's like every business owner that we get, no matter what industry, from fucking mining through to cafes or whatever, every time they start sleeping better, they start chilling out more, they start eating better just make more money. It's like money just naturally, it just appears. It just comes. I was going to say, if you're tired, you're going to expect to sell like shit because you're going to be grumpy. You're not going to be able to think quickly. When someone does object, you're not going to be able to think of the right thing to say from an actual intelligent perspective. So you get caught in traps and all of that, every single thing that you do is just run with a lower level of efficiency. So it's just so much better to just take that extra hour of sleep per night and do something For me, the other thing that you did that was so valuable for me was teaching me, and I think I still struggle with this, but it's switching off. So when I'm not working, you know, I had to do that post recently on Facebook. I deleted all the apps off my phone. I had three slacks running with three different companies. I had Voxer. I had messages coming in. I had Facebook, Instagram, and then I had the messenger platforms for all of them. And I would finish work and Hannah would get the shits because I'm just on my phone constantly at night. She's like, what are you doing? I couldn't even watch a damn movie without switching off. So getting rid of those things, it's like you need to work on your health. You need to also work on being present when you're actually not working so that you can have the mental energy to attack your workday properly. How do you work on being present? The the biggest thing for me is doing the things that give me my energy. And what I've realized is in the morning, if I set the standard by picking up my phone, it's done. Start fixing notifications, it's game over. So I have to start my day well. That's the thing for me. It's not about the end of the day so much. As long as I get to bed on time, it's about getting up, 
sitting down, you know, had a glass of water or whatever. And then I just sit down, put my noise canceling headphones on. And I just basically read. I do a couple of the Pomodoro timer things these days, 25 minutes on, get up, have a quick, you know, drink of water. And then I do the second one. And as long as I've started that, that's really got me going. And then after what was that, that, sorry, the, the timer, what's the Pomodoro? You know, like tomato timer. It's like a well-known, it's a well-known sort of efficiency tool. So it's like, basically you can get an app on your phone where, um, Pomodoro technique. It's so it's a well-known thing and you just put 25 minutes on five minutes off and you can do cycles of that. And the, the rationale behind that is that the way that the brain learns is it has like primacy and recency. So we tend to do much better at remembering the things that we learned at the beginning of a learning period and the things that we did at the end. So if you have a really extensive work period or study period, you forget everything in the middle. And so the research on it has shown that we do far better if we if we keep it short, have a quick break, we can kind of then consolidate what we've learned and then go again. Yeah, that's super cool. So you've really condensed it down instead of like a several hours of learning where you'll get 10 minutes either side, which is actually effective. You just bang, cram them both in into 25 minutes and then have five minutes off. Yeah. And it's also about procrastination as well, because sitting down to two hours of work can be rather unmotivating, right? A lot of time we we don't do it. So if you just sit down thinking, I've got 25 minutes, you know, do whatever you need to do to cut your distractions in your workplace. It's very, very manageable to sit down for that. And typically what happens is we do the first one and then we have our break and we go, you know what? I'm feeling good. We've gotten past the hump of getting started the hardest part. Then we're good to go. So that's, I sort of use that as my technique at the start of the day now. And it's been working really well. Totally. It's it's funny you mentioned that about the efficiency part too. Um, and I want to ask you a question on that. So like I see a lot of guys will extend their hours. A lot of us, we like to work a lot and we start with 40 hours and then we go to 50, then we go to 60, 70, 80 and so on. But then what happens is we've got 80 shit hours. <laughs> like they're just crap because you're tired, you're lethargic, your brain's off, you're doing a million different things, but completing none of them. Have you found since focusing on this Pomodoro method that you've been more efficient as well? And how, and has, it if, if, if it has at all has it affected the number of hours that you work in a week well yeah it has it has it's been kind of like multifaceted so it's the two things that i said it's it's basically getting rid of all the applications off my phone because notifications were really messing with my shit you know just sitting down you know i had that real dopamine those high dopamine levels there was a lot of like obsessive um or like addictive behaviors that were going on you you said i was task addicted and i think that that's spot on so interestingly getting rid of those things, even just two weeks ago now, and then using the Pomodoro technique, it has meant that, you know, I've been able to get a lot more done. And it's it's been incredibly freeing, like going to bed and not having anything to check on a phone or anything like that. It's a really interesting thing. And I mean, for me, I, I genuinely just become addicted. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I picked up my phone the week I deleted my apps just to kind of look at it and go, oh, there's nothing actually of value on there. And I had to put it down. It happened about 50 to 100 times in that week period because there was obsession, there was addiction there. And I slowly got to break that. And I've just been on my phone a lot less at the moment because there's not really much of value on it. I just check my messages once a day and that's about all I can do. How's it been since you started, since you turned off, got rid of all the apps and all that sort of stuff? How's it been with hand? Much better, much better. I mean, basically, you know, when I'm actually, the hardest time would be when I was doing something that seemed to be already kind of mind-numbing anyway, like watching TV 
And I wasn't watching TV and she was getting the shits because I was actually on my phone while we were trying to watch TV. Dude, I've never got that. Why the fuck are you watching the TV if you're then playing on apps on your phone at the same time? It was addiction. It was was task addiction. It was basically that idea of like when I'd switched off for the day, I felt guilty by not attending to those things, right? Someone sent me a message. If I don't answer it right now, the world's going to collapse, right? So, and, you know, once I kind of took away that, that sort of, that necessity. And that's, I got okay with the fact that, Hey, so what, they're just going to have to wait till the morning, right? It's past seven o'clock. I'm done. You know, that was just something that I realized was incredibly freeing and the world didn't fall apart. The only downside was I got my car serviced and the guy tried to call me and I had my phone on do not disturb. And so basically, you know, how you do the do not disturb thing and it just calls once and hangs up. So that's the only problem I've dealt with in about the last two weeks. Besides that, it's been amazing. Can't, can't I recommend it enough. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Um, before before you go, um, if anyone wants to learn more about what you do in, in terms of sales or building businesses and whatnot, where can they find you? So first of all, my Facebook account is Andrew James Poulton. They can go there. The second thing is they can go and find us uh, under the business name for our, our coaching business, which is Systems by Design. We have podcasts called Seven Figure Fitness Business. But I'm going to say, you know, I guess like if they want sales training stuff, probably just to reach out to me personally on Facebook because we do have some great resources. If you're in the fitness industry selling online, I've got some stuff that would probably be remarkably useful. And I I actually have been giving people for free a complete breakdown of my sales script, which is the most valuable asset I've ever made. If they are sort of just wanting some general, general sales chat, they can just reach out to me sort of via messenger. And I'm more than happy to communicate that way. Unreal, man. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Appreciate you, dude. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.